And so we believe it's God's time and that he's waking up the church globally and families globally up to the up to the house of prayer, a consistent gathering of praying Christians who welcome and encounter the manifest presence of Christ anywhere, anytime, with anyone. That's the house of prayer that Jesus wants. That's the house of prayer he's coming back for. Amen? Amen. Jesus said when he was on earth, my house will be a house of prayer. He didn't say it might be. He didn't say it should be. He said it will be. That was really weak. He said it will be a house of prayer. And Jesus is coming back for a church. He's coming back for a bride that believes that and builds that. So that's why we're here together over these two days. That's why we in the College of Prayer are, are working as much as God gives us opportunity all around the world, now in over 90 nations, to see a house of prayer built all around the world. Because this is what changes things. A conference doesn't change things. Maybe a little bit. This isn't a conference, just so you know. We, hate, we actually hate that word, conference. This is an encounter with Christ. That's what changes things. And so tonight, as we move into our second session, Conquering Prayerlessness, I know this is all about hope, and that, that title actually sounds a, a little bit hopeless. And I want you to know where we're going with this is filled with hope. Conquering Prayerlessness, because so many of us, if we're honest, if we're honest here, can we be honest tonight? We feel defeated in this. We feel defeated, and, and, and it's time for a reset. And that's part of why we're gathered here. We want to give opportunity, place, space, time for you, for me, for us to hit the reset button. To hit the reset button and allow God to work in us so that we feel empowered, we know truth from the Word of God, and we are equipped to build this house. But the reality is, you can't fix what you don't acknowledge. You can't fix what you don't acknowledge. There's the reality that so many of us are living in prayerlessness. And it's time to acknowledge that. It's time to not acknowledge that one of the greatest travesties of the church today is we've moved so much towards pulpit discipleship, we have no home discipleship. We've relied completely on this stage in the Western culture to do all of the discipleship. We expect to bring our kids here and drop them off on a Sunday, and that's where they get all they need to know about God. There's way more than that. And it's all built on the house of prayer. You see, my friends, God, heaven, God, he doesn't respond to your tithes, your talents, your beauty, your skills. Heaven responds to your praying. That's what heaven responds to. This is why we have to have the house of prayer. I love what the, the prophet Samuel said. He was, he was getting so tired of the sins of Israel, right? And so there's this point where they're like, give us a king, give us a king, give us a king. Samuel was just done with it. He had told him, you don't want that, you don't want that, you don't want that. Yes, we do, yes, we do, yes, we do. 
And he's just tired of it. So yeah, fine, take your king. And then he says, even in his tiredness, he says, as for me, far, far be it from me that I should sin against God by failing to pray for you. Yeah. Even in his frustration with the people, he still knew the sinfulness of prayerlessness. Yeah. Can we be real? Because we've all struggled to pray. Especially in our homes, we, we've all been guilty of this sin of prayerlessness. We've all gone through seasons like this. Our churches lack prayer, our families lack prayer, and often they're, they're connected. We don't have praying churches, so we haven't seen it modeled, so we don't have praying homes, and we don't have praying churches because we don't have praying homes, and it's this terrible cycle. We've got to break that. Amen. Pastors and parents are asking more than ever, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. We, we know there's something else. There's something deeper. There's a deeper spiritual life. There's a greater reality to the kingdom of God that I'm missing. And it's found, friends, it's found in prayer. Because prayer is intimacy. Prayer is not a religious obligation. It's a relational invitation. There's no other faith, there's no other religion on earth that offers this kind of intimacy. If you go to the mosque, you're not going to get it. If you go to the temple, you're not going to get it. And not only that, but most religions say that if you want to pray, you've got to go here. You've got to go to this place to do it. Jesus says, no, I want to do it right in the middle of your house. Amen. Do you understand the depth of that? The intimacy of that. Jesus doesn't want you taking an hour just to go somewhere so you can pray. He says, I want to come to you right now in the middle of your home. And I want to build a house of prayer right here, right now. Amen. And unless we conquer the sin of prayerlessness in us personally, we will never be able to build a house of prayer, let alone a personal prayer. And in order to develop a fervent and effective prayer life, in order for us to build a Christ-encountering house of prayer, we've got to deal with this sin. Not only exposing it, but my friends, allowing God to conquer it. To conquer it. Prayerlessness is a sin of omission. You know what omission is? From a legal perspective, it's actually a failure to act. It's a failure to act. Now, obviously, it's not a sin that's going to send you to hell, but it'll make you feel like you're living there. Why? Because, because we, we, we kind of know we should be doing it, but we're not doing it. So then we move, into, we move into shame and guilt and lies and accusations. See where I'm going with this? We, we begin to live with that weight. Because the accuser's gonna accuse. Look at you. You've been married five years, 10 years, 20 years, and you've never prayed with your wife. You've never prayed with your children. Who do you think you are? You'll never be able to do this. You've never started, you'll never do it. You see, we, we live under that shame and that weight and that guilt. And that's why this sin of omission is so tragic. Paul said in Ephesians 6.18, pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. 
difficulty of verses like that is we read those verses and, and we think internally like, this isn't really my reality. <laughs> this isn't my reality. I'm not really, I'm, I'm doing good to pray five minutes a day. Here's Paul saying, pray at all times with all prayer and supplication. And so we read these kind of verses like this and we start becoming bothered by them. There's this nagging sense. I'm not experiencing this. I'm not experiencing the reality of this type of prayer. And this is why I want to give us tonight three keys. Three keys to conquering prayer. Because Paul doesn't give us anything that God can't accomplish, right? So, so the first key to conquering prayerlessness is to humble ourselves. It's to humble ourselves. Too often we disguise prayerlessness, and instead of, instead of calling it a sin, we, we make excuses for it. We call it a weakness. I'm just weak in, in the area of prayer. And as long as we do that, we're never going to conquer it. Why? What did I say at the beginning? You can't fix what you don't acknowledge. It's time to humble ourselves and acknowledge our prayerlessness, especially, especially in our homes. Friends, I have met so many church leaders who have point blank said to me, I have never prayed with my spouse. I've never prayed with my family. And I gotta tell you, that is not God's best. It's not. He's got something better for you. And we're going to talk tomorrow a little bit about the awkwardness and the uncomfortableness of, of building our house of prayer. Because sometimes it is uncomfortable. But God's comfortable in your uncomfortableness. And so he calls us to build this house of prayer, but we've got to humble ourselves. And the good thing is, the example we see in Scripture is we're not alone in our prayerlessness. You know, Jesus... The night before his crucifixion, he invites his closest disciples to go with him to the Garden of Gethsemane. Here they are in the garden three times. He has to come to them. And, and they're sleeping. <laughs> they're sleeping. Anybody else ever fallen asleep during prayer? <laughs> I know I'm not the only one. And, and here he comes. And I can just imagine Jesus like, man, he's like, <laughs> Sure, he gave a little love tap. Come on, guys. I'd have gone straight for the ribs. So here, here's three times Jesus comes to them. He says, guys, couldn't you watch with me for one Watch and pray so that you will not be led into temptation. Here's, here's the interesting part of that. So we see their prayerlessness, right? He, he calls them out on them. He's calling more out of them. But I wonder, friends, I wonder how much temptation we've given into because we fail to watch and pray. We fail to watch and pray yeah. in our homes. How, much, how many fights have happened in our homes? How much conflict has happened in our homes because we fail to watch and pray. So he calls the disciples out. He, he calls them to the mat on this. They committed the sin of prayerlessness and they knew it. And most of us, if we're honest, we make these excuses for our prayerlessness. I'm too tired. I've run out of time. My kids are crazy. They have so much energy, I can't even get them to sit down for five minutes, let alone try to pray with them. I'm 
I'm too busy doing ministry to spend time with Jesus. No, friends, you're too busy not to spend time with Jesus. You're too busy not to pray. So we make all of these excuses. These become part of our reality. But I pray that the Lord tonight, that Jesus tonight would confront our hearts with the same immediacy and the same urgency as he approached the disciples with in the garden. Would you now watch him pray with me for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not be led into temptation. See, the major roots behind prayerlessness and the reason that we have to humble ourselves, the reason we have to humble ourselves is because of, of pride and unbelief and idolatry. These three roots are too often growing down into the garden of our soul, in the garden of our spirit, and they are choking the life out of us. We have to humble ourselves and acknowledge, yeah, there's some pride. Yeah, there's some unbelief. Yeah, there's some idolatry there. Pride says, I don't, I don't need to pray. I can do it myself. But my friends, our self-sufficiency isolates us from a father who wants intimacy with us. And then there's unbelief. Prayer's not going to make any difference. It won't matter. If I pray or not, God's going to do what he wants to do. And i got to tell you something, that is absolutely 100% not scriptural. If you, if you read any part of this book, from Genesis to Revelation, you will see God has ordained and orchestrated his economy and his kingdom to advance through you. Not the person next to you, you. Not with the title in front of your name or a degree after your name, but he wants to, none of that matters, he wants to advance his kingdom in you and through you, and it all begins in prayer. This is how he has chosen to orchestrate it. In fact, five times, at least five times in the gospel, the only times we see Jesus actually rebuke the disciples was when he's calling them out on their unbelief. You have little faith. You have little faith. He rebukes them from failing to believe the God who had sent the Messiah that was standing right in front of them. And he calls out their unbelief. Hebrews 3.12 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. I think it's really interesting how the two are connected evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Falling away from the living God begins with unbelief. Begins with unbelief. And it's often rooted in disappointment with God. I See, I want to acknowledge something here real quick, because the, the major crisis of faith that I see in the majority of people is disappointment with God. You've prayed something for years, or, or you've prayed, or you, you've wanted something from God, and you haven't got it. Why don't I have this? Why isn't this my reality, God? Why is Fred blessed, and I'm not? Why does this person have this, and I don't? I asked you for that. So we allow these disappointments with God to, to begin to go and move deep into us. Because the problem is, if we, if we don't bring 
our disappointments to God, and let me just say this, who is absolutely big enough to handle your disappointments, hello, He's absolutely big enough to handle your disappointments for you to bring him your disappointments. But if we fail to bring him our disappointments, that soon moves into discouragement. Discouragement moves into hopelessness. Hopelessness moves into unbelief. See how it works. This is why we have to bring him our disappointments. It's okay. I get it. We all get it. There's things you might be disappointed about. Things you feel like God has let you down. He's big enough to handle that. Don't stay there. Don't keep it to yourself. See, God can handle disappointment. What he can't handle is unbelief. Then there's idolatry. We put our hope in what we can see, not in what we can't see. See, what idols do is they rob God of his glory in our life. They take the place of God's glory in our life. And, and the reality is we can make idols out of our skills, out of our ingenuity, out of our competencies. We can make idols out of all that. We can make idols out of ourselves. We can make idols out of other people. Robbing God of his rightful place. Robbing God of intimacy with us as his children. Now, if we're really honest, we, we tend to run to books, and we tend to run to conferences, and we tend to run to other people before we run to God. Mm. These are all idols, friends. We don't realize that all we've done in, in, in this modern culture is we've hidden idols. You see, we look at, we look at places like India. I, I love going to India because everything's just out in the open. Like, nothing's hidden. All the evil's just out. And, and, and so we go to think about places like India, and, and we think, oh, I would never worship a physical idol like that. But friends, all we've done, all we've done is taken those physical idols, moved them into the secret places of our hearts, and we've made idols out of humanism, self-sufficiency, independence. Oh. See, we've made idols out of these things that no one can see. And our kids might have important decisions to make. Maybe they're making a decision about what college to go to. And we say, well, well you know, let's talk about it. What do you think about it? What, what does so-and-so think about it? Should you do this? Should you? So instead of pointing them to the Father and what the Father wants to say about it, we begin to make an idol out of our own wisdom and out of our own discernment. See how it sneaks in? Idolatry. Until we humble ourselves, confess prayerlessness as a sin, as our failure to act, we will never be able to conquer it. And we'll never be able to build a house of prayer. This is why humbling ourselves is the first key. First Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If we want to conquer prayerlessness, friends, we absolutely 100% need the grace of God. We need the grace of God to overcome it. And the only way to get that grace is to humble ourselves. Hmm. Second key to conquering prayerlessness 
is to renounce discouragement and hopelessness. Renounce discouragement and hopelessness. You see, if you think that you'll never overcome prayerlessness, never gain victory over it, you never will. Discouragement and hopelessness have to be renounced and rejected and abandoned. Have to be. Especially when it comes to building a house of prayer in our own families. Too many people think it can't be done. This is where faith has to kick in, kick in. And so many of us are stuck in prayerlessness, thinking that this will never happen, that we'll never get victory, that our families will never enjoy spiritual intimacy. Hmm. Wow. I'm here to tell you tonight, you've heard stories tonight. Yes. Of how God can conquer this. Paul calls God the God of hope. He says in Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Man. Then he says, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just say, so you can get a little bit of hope, so that you will overflow with hope. I don't want you to leave here with just a little bit of hope. I want you to leave here overflowing with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus himself promised us to help. He said in John 14, 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. If you're not overflowing with hope, especially hope in what God can do with your family, it's time to ask for the helper to come. He is the best contractor you can hire to build your house of prayer. You can't do it. I'm just a sub I'm just a subcontractor working under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So are you. It's time to ask the helper. And this leads us to our third key to conquering prayerlessness, which is to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a praying spirit. He's a life-giving spirit. That's what the scripture says. And he will conquer prayerlessness in us and in our homes and in our families and teach us to pray. He will bring life to our prayers. That's what he does. In Romans 8.26, Paul says, the spirit himself helps us in our weakness. Anybody ever feel weak in prayer? He helps us in our weakness, for we don't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes or prays for us with groans to be us. He helps us in our weakness. He's the best contractor you can See, oftentimes we move towards prayerlessness because the only thing that's ever been modeled to us with prayer is dry, religious, boring, dead prayer. It's really hard to achieve what you've never seen. I'm going to say that again. It's really hard to achieve what you've never seen or envisioned. Too many of us have never seen spirit-filled, life-giving, Christ-exalted prayer, wow. especially 
especially in our homes. Praying in the flesh calls on our own ability, calls on our self-effort, our self-will, our self-determination to push past any difficulty in prayer. You see, when we've never had life-giving spirit and power prayer modeled to us, we operate in the flesh. We pray in the flesh, we live in the flesh, we speak in the flesh, and I'm telling you, if you are praying in the flesh, which I see it so often, I even find times where I'm moving into it, I've got to stop myself. You see, we, we find this difficulty in prayer when all, all we do is pray in the flesh, and we don't want to do it. When you become tongue-tied in prayer, we, we might try to overcome it by using a lot of words. We, we don't know what to say in prayer, so we pray everything. Jesus said in Matthew 6, don't use a lot of words in prayer just because you think you're going to be heard. If we struggle with wanting to give up after just a short time in prayer, we, we may begin to completely focus on how long we pray, becoming legalistic about it. This is all praying in the flesh. We begin to treat prayer like clocking in and clocking out. It becomes totally legalistic and not relational. But success in prayer doesn't depend on how long you pray, friends, how much time you can log in prayer. It depends on the motivation behind your prayer. Is it a motivation driven out of relationship or a motivation driven by something check off or to do this prayer is not a religious obligation it's a relational invitation sometimes we try to overcome deadness in prayer by focusing on how well we can pray we, we, we develop these lofty prayers full of good doctrine and theology and, and, and we begin to focus on how, how long we're praying how how hard we're praying, how loud we're praying, what words we're using, how good they are. You know, we become so caught up in these fleshly things that, that our prayer life just falls apart. It's, here's exactly what it's like. If, if you've ever been to Hollywood, you know that the, the movie sets that are created have a facade. Everything looks great on this side of the movie set. You see everything, so much detail. And then you take one, a step behind, and it's about that wide, about a foot, where, where you've got your, your, uh, your, your post holding everything up, but there's nothing else. It's just a facade. That's what praying in the flesh is. It's just a facade. This is why we must be full of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> the problem is we, we often encounter resistance in prayer in our home life, uh, resistance in schedule and, and attitude sometimes, right? And then we become, in the flesh, we start becoming overbearing about our prayer times with our families, right? This, this, is, this can be me. I can definitely lean into this, right, babe? And, and, and like, like, no, come hell or high water, we're going to sit down at 7.30 a.m. and we're going to pray together. I don't care what you think about it. We're going to like Jesus. That's not spirit-enabled prayer. That's not life-giving prayer. That's flesh. It's a facade. Praying in the spirit means experiencing the spirit of life bringing our prayers to life. Here's the difference. In, in the flesh, 
we are pushing our prayers forward. In the spirit, he is pushing our prayers forward. I want you to think of it like this. It's like a river, right? When we're praying in the spirit, we are in the current of the river. We are moving with the flow of the river. When we pray in the flesh, we're, it's like we're paddling upstream trying to get somewhere we were never intended to go. There's life to it. There's momentum to it. There's energy to it. Obviously, there's degrees of, of rapids and currents in any river. And I don't mean to imply that by any means that every time you pray in the Spirit, it's like you're experiencing revival. Just like any river, there's ebbs and flow to it. Sometimes it moves faster, sometimes it moves slower, but it's always moving. It's always going somewhere intentional. And this is what it means to pray in the Spirit, that there's momentum, that there's life, that you know you are moving, that you start off praying in the living room, and five minutes later you realize you're in the throne room. That's what praying in the Spirit is. There's a tangible, realistic difference. It doesn't always feel amazing. Sometimes it feels like groaning, like Paul said. Like you're giving birth to something. But you know something is happening. Praying in the spirit, flowing in the right direction, is increasing our growth, always increasing our growth of intimacy with the Father. If you're not growing in intimacy with the Father, I'm not sure you're really praying in the spirit. There's a freedom and a sense of relational exchange that takes place with the Father when we're praying in the Spirit. There's something happening. There's intimacy. There's communion. There's fellowship. The Spirit illuminates our mind, our hearts, and grants us freedom of words, liberty of expression. There's momentum that's happening. He, he gives us a holy boldness to plead the promises of God in the presence of God. And that's the house of prayer Jesus wants us to experience and to live out. That's the house of prayer he wants our families to enjoy. Doesn't mean it's always going to be perfect. Doesn't mean that, that it's always going to be full of energy. Sometimes we may weep together. Sometimes we may groan together. Sometimes we'll laugh. When I was in college, I had a good friend, Will, and uh, my senior year, uh, he and I would get together every Wednesday and we'd pray together. And for about the first month or so, maybe first two months, it just got bad, like just dry and boring. And I, I, every time he'd come in my room, I'm like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> really, Lord, I should not have committed to this. Because what we were doing is every time we'd get together, we would just, he, me too, I guess, would just talk about everything that was going wrong, all the things that were problematic, and, and then we'd spend like five minutes in prayer. And so there was about two months into this, he came to my room, and I, I was just done. Like, I'm done with this. I, can, I, I don't have time for this anymore. So he comes to my room, I said, listen, listen, listen. When we get together for prayer, here's how it's going to go. We're just going after God. 
I, 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 you know, if, if, if you've got something to pray about, pray about. But I'm going to pray. You can interrupt me. I'm going to interrupt you. We're just going to pray. We're just going to go after God. And whatever happens, happens. He's like, are you sure about that? He's like, yeah, man, just, let's just go with it. I, I don't know. Just let's go with it. I can't handle another way. So we began to pray. And I'm telling you, from that point on, everything changed. Everything changed. The Spirit of God came in that room. He began to give life to our prayer, to our prayer partnership. We began to see the power of God come every Wednesday. We would see God move. We would see tremendous answers to prayer. Because it became life-giving. It became spirit-empowered instead of fleshly. Instead of a facade. Now we were actually building a house. That's what Jesus wants to do in our homes. So I want us to stand together right now because I want to move us into some action steps together. We don't want to miss an opportunity to actually take some steps forward tonight. As we continue to, to desire to have this desire in us to build a house of prayer, we actually want momentum as we leave here tonight. So I want to give us some action steps, and we put these in your notebook so that you can reference back to them when you need to. But for now, I just want you to stay, stay in the moment, and I'm going to lead us through some prayer together, some responsive prayer. Because the first thing we need to do is we need to repent. We need to repent of our pride. We need to repent of our unbelief. We need to repent of our idolatry, our prayerlessness. And we have to admit our inability to pray like we should. There are no natural-born prayers. We are all beginners in the school of prayer. The danger of, of an evening like this, of a weekend like this, is that you, you look at Fred or, or Stephen or myself or Doc, and you think, oh, you know, that's for them. They've got it. Good for them. It'll never happen for me. That's the danger. But what we want you to walk away with, first of all, we want to acknowledge that it has, it's not easy. It hasn't ever been easy. You have to contend for it. You have to fight for it. With every ounce of your being, nothing happens in the kingdom of God unintentionally. So if you want to build a house of prayer, it has to be intentionally. And I'm telling you, it is difficult. It will not be without contention. The most attacked part of every local church is the prayer gathering. And the most attacked part of every local family is the prayer gathering. Hmm. Until you acknowledge that, nothing's going to change. Until you acknowledge that when you and your spouse are fighting, you're not the only two people in a room, nothing's going to change. That there's a very real enemy also in that room. Prodding, poking, accusing. Reminding you of things 20 years ago, right? No, oh, I remember when she said that 15 years ago. There's a very real enemy out to destroy you, out to destroy your marriage, out to destroy your children, your family, your heritage, your rights as children of God. And the first thing we've got to do is we've got to admit this. This is an inability and come face to face with our tendency to pray in our own flesh or not at all. Yeah. We have to recognize that prayer is a spiritual activity. It 
is not a mental activity. It's not a fleshly activity. It's a spiritual activity. The, the power of the flesh has nothing to do with prayer. Repentance leads us to expectation and anticipation that God wants to rebuild the house of prayer in our families. So I want you to just pray with me right now. We want to spend some time just repenting. I'm going to pause at the end of this and just let you confess some things personally, whatever the Holy Spirit brings to mind. But right now, just let me take a moment to just pray for us. Pray God's protection over this moment. Father, right now we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We acknowledge your presence in this place. And Lord, we do take a moment to submit to God. We submit to you, spirit, soul, and body right now. Every part of us. We submit to you this moment, this time, that it would be fully and wholly yours. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and open our ears right now. We want to hear what you, the Spirit of God, is saying to the church, saying to each family. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I bind every discouraging spirit, every spirit that would cause distraction, disruption, sabotage. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I bind you now. I command you to flee this place. You have no place here. You have no right here. The scripture declares all things are in subjection to the feet of Christ. You enemies of God, you are in subjection to the feet of Christ right now. Spirits of unbelief, go in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Spirits of distraction, go in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Spirits of hate, disappointment, discouragement, hopelessness, go in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ right now. Holy Spirit, we invite you. We invite you. We invite you. We receive your presence with power and Right now, I want you just to repeat this after me. Father God, I humble myself. Father God, I humble myself. I confess my sin of pride. I confess my sin of pride. Loving Father, I repent of my sin of unbelief and idolatry. I renounce the sin of prayerlessness. I renounce discouragement and hopelessness. I renounce the spirit and hopelessness. And I receive your forgiveness in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I receive your forgiveness in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I declare that you are the God of hope. I declare that you are the God of hope. I receive an overflow of hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I receive an overflow of hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right now, just take a moment. Hold out your hands and receive forgiveness. Receive. Let him impart the gift of forgiveness to you. In the name of Jesus. Thank in the you, name God. of Jesus. Lord, impart grace. Grace, grace, grace. I see the Lord right now in this moment just you, like putting presence in people's hands. It's the grace of God. He's putting grace in your hands right now. I've got grace to come to the prayer of the the unbelief, the idolatry. I've got grace for all of them. I've got grace for the pride. I've got grace to cover all of them. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, we receive that. We receive it. We receive it by faith in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Receive it. Receive it. Now we want to take a moment to rebuke and resist the devil. We want to take a moment to come against the enemy. Oftentimes the enemy gets a foothold in our prayer life. I said it before, it often starts with disappointment that we don't confess to God. Disappointment that he's big enough to handle. 
And so that begins to, to silence our prayer life. Our, our prayer lives go dormant. Chokes the life out of our prayer life. And we don't want, we don't want to have any fluent influence or crown that's given to the evil one. So we're going to stop in prayer right now. We're going to resist the devil. We're going to rebuke the devil. We're going to tell him to go. We're actually not praying right now. So I want you to open your eyes. We're actually taking our authority under the leadership, lordship, apostleship, and shepherdship of Jesus Christ. Under the power of the Holy Spirit. Everyone in this room, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have authority. Amen. So don't look at me. I don't want you looking at me when we're about to do this. I always look at the floor most of the time because the scripture says all things are in subjection to the feet of Christ. I don't want to give Satan more than he deserves. I want to look at the floor. Let him know where his place is. So I want you to follow after me right now. Satan, I bind you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it is written, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I recognize your efforts to hinder my prayer life. And I specifically bind the spirits you've set against me. The spirits of pride, unbelief, and idolatry. I command these spirits to be gone from me now. I command these spirits to be gone from me now. Never to return. Never to return. The scripture says all things are in subjection to Christ. And you are in subjection to the feet of Christ. You are in subjection to the feet of Christ. Never return to me again. I am free from you now and forever. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. to the Holy Spirit than impreference or indifference. So we want to acknowledge his role and welcome him to come. So we want to go back to praying. Hold out your hands like this. Father God, right now I take control of my prayer life. Father God, right now I take control of my prayer life. Activate the full prayer life of Jesus in me. Holy Spirit, you are a praying spirit. Holy Spirit, you are a praying spirit. Take control of my mind, my will, my emotions, my body, that I might pray like Jesus. I declare you are the helper. You're the master contractor. Help me build a house of prayer in my family. 
family, in my workplace, in my local church, everywhere and anywhere you give me influence. In Jesus' name. Amen. See, when, when Jesus was with his disciples in the garden and he confronts them for their prayerlessness, he doesn't just leave them there. He doesn't just, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. No, he calls the best out. And not only does he call the best out of them, he's crucified, he rose again, and then he teaches them on the kingdom of God. Once he's risen again for 40 days, he teaches on the kingdom of God. So the scripture says. And then before he ascends to his upper room in heaven, he, he tells them, he commands them to go to their upper room on earth. And not only does he command them to go, he promises them a gift when they go. Amen. And they go back now empowered by Christ to go to their upper room, and they don't just pray for one hour, they pray for 240 hours. Hallelujah. 10 days in the upper room. Hallelujah. And then the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Christ wants to conquer prayerlessness in the church. He wants to send us to our upper room, our house of prayer, here on earth to empower us under the influence and leadership of the Holy Spirit to build something that won't just change you now, but will change the generations from here forth in yes. your family, in your lineage, now and forevermore. You see, the work you do now in building the house of prayer doesn't just have implications for today. It has implications for the generations to come. Amen. That's why this is so important. That's why I'm grateful for a grandmother who took this serious. Who, would, who was a pastor and would walk his every day and be in his church and he'd walk back and forth in his sanctuary, praying, calling out to God, praying for his people, praying for his family, Lord, do something, change the generations. When he passed away, he had planted these, this grove of pecan trees, like 100 pecan tree, trees when he was a little boy. I was just walking the day of his funeral through that pecan grove, and I'm just praying, and all of a sudden, I just felt the Spirit of God come on me, and this mantle come on me, and then the Lord just said, I'm giving you some of this mantle. Hallelujah. You see, that's the house of prayer that Jesus wants to build that transfers mantles. Changes generations. That's the house of prayer I want to leave for my three girls. That's the house of prayer I want to invite them into. And we're committed to building. It's not easy. It is really hard. Satan's going to fight like hell against you. What are you going to do? 